Amen. Let's have a good time today with the Word of God, right? So there's a card that's circulating for Joan LaPointe. So those of you who know that Joan, she's in last stages of cancer. And so it's a card of encouragement for her. And so if you know her or just want to encourage our sister, that would be awesome. And so I'll be passing around. I trust you're not going to let that distract you too much from the Word of God as we do this. Okay. So uh, it is really fun. I'm really glad to be here this morning. Uh, you know, I bring you greetings from Boston, which is where we worship now, where we are. And uh, this is my lovely wife, Jeanette. If you haven't met her, uh, she's awesome. Uh, we, we pray for the church here for most of you uh, constantly. So um, just to give you a little bit of, ba- of our background and what we're going through right now, um, three years ago, uh, we really wanted to come up here and be with the Burlington Church. And so we had, uh, I think it was three years, you know, somebody correct me if my counting is wrong, but uh, it wouldn't be the first time. Um, you know, uh, something we've wanted to do for many years. Uh, we, when I was, after I was baptized, and that's a whole story in itself, uh, uh, we went to Germany. I was in the Army. We spent f- almost four years in Germany uh, as part of a church there before our movement actually had planted anything in Germany. And it was really on our heart to go back for the first planning in Munich, right? So that was exciting for us. You know, we spoke about this much German. You know, we were, as you can tell, not German-looking at all. And But we knew how to eat German food. We thought that was a perfect match. And, uh, yeah. you know, and God had a different plan. So, so we stayed in Boston. You know, at, at about that time, it was 1989-ish, you know, believe it or not, uh, we were both in our 20s. You know, Jeanette, you can obviously believe me, probably not so much, but, uh, you know, we were both 27 back then. Uh, we just moved into our house. Our son was younger than Emma, and he was three years old. Um, I really related to what you're sharing today. My mom passed when I was young. I had three brothers, uh, but I had a sister, so, but I connected a little bit there. <clears throat> Um, and I think it might have been better. No, I don't know. But, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, we were we had just moved in. And, and you know, it's, it's hard to pinch ourselves now because it's 27 years later. We've been in the same place for 27 years um, in the same house. You know, our kids are no longer three years old anymore. Uh, they themselves are 30 and 27 almost. That's sort of weird. Uh, and uh, to think about that, that it's been half of our lives in the same place, you know. And so we, we really, uh, you know, we met Mike and Kristen, I think, at a devotional. Uh, we met uh, Pat and Carolyn. I, I remember it was at a New England service in Lawrence. They looked at, like, who the heck are you guys and what do you want from us? Uh, um, that's changed a little bit, I think, you know. And, uh, you know, we knew Rob from, uh, from his days at Salem State. Rob was uh, my son's... Uh, you know, campus big brother and took him fishing and and uh, and it was really bonded with him. So it's been great to, to know them and and, you know, to grow closer to the church over the last few years uh, coming up. You know, I used excuses to run a marathon here just so I could come to Burlington and be here. Right. And, you know, and some people you could probably come up with a better excuse than that. Uh, and you're probably right. Um, I, I ran a half marathon yesterday just so I could force us to be here and it worked um you know it was a great excuse to visit you know we, we actually even got to go camping a couple of times and uh which you don't realize what a big sacrifice that is for Jeanette because she really that's a stretch for her and so um she's pushing she's actually likes it a little bit you know that's a big step you know I'm, I'm really excited because um, we do a lot more camping if she liked it a lot and, and again another story is out there behind that reason but you know we, we said about a year ago, we said, you know, we really want, we would want to come to Burlington. And so we set a goal, you know, we just keep praying for God to open doors, to make it clear. And um, we set a, a goal to uh, be able to 
have this spring be the time we put our house on the market. And so uh, we've been working for that. And so we're at the point now where we actually signed an agreement with a realtor last week to list our house. So uh, so prayerfully, you know, that will go on the market uh, first week in May or so. And uh, today we're going to go out and look at some houses around here in Burlington. So, so that's exciting. Um, you know, pray for us. I think there's still some hurdles to cross. You know, God, God is good. You know, we're, we know that he continues to work in our lives. And we're excited uh, about what he's done so far. So be praying for that. Uh, that would be exciting. Um, uh, challenge, you know, you gotta, it, it's hard. You know, I, I remember when Gordon Ferguson left Boston. He says, you know, and I can't imitate Gordon Burrell. He says, you know, it takes 16 years to make 16-year friendships. And, you know, and I reflect on, we've been in Boston 29 years and in the same same ministry for 27. It takes 27 years to make a 27-year relationship. And so when I do my simple math and take how old I am now, 54, and I add 27 to that, even for me, that sounds old. I probably won't be running marathons when I'm whatever that adds up to be. Um, so, but amen. So, um, but I'm one, you know, I, then I reflect, well, Caleb was ready to take the high country when he was older than that. So, uh, amen. So that's what I'm hoping for. And it's going to be fun somehow. All right. So today I want to talk about something I, I'm continuing to learn about. Um, and I just really pray that God's going to help us uh, through his word. The title I'm using is Redefine Standards. Now, in, my, in, our, in our region, in the north of Boston, we've been going through a series on the, uh, on the, um, the Sermon on the Mount. And it's just lots of exciting things going on in my head. We, we just started a, a series on the book of Acts. And so last week I preached about an overview of Acts. And Acts is exciting because it's Jesus resurrected and he goes, he takes the gospel through, the, uh, through his, his speakers from Jerusalem in this little sect in Palestine to the whole world. It ends up in Rome. And so I'm excited about that. Uh, I'm, out, I'm studying out and working on a class in Hebrews. And so even this thought of, you know, Jesus giving us a new standard. And, you know, when you said, uh, Larry, that there was, uh, that what if Jesus never came? I'm going, oh my goodness, we'd all be Jews. And we'd all be under the law. And we'd all be, you know, in some weird temple building. And, oh my goodness, I'm so glad that that's not the case. But, you know, I want to sort of dig into that because we had been looking at, well, how did Jesus redefine our relationships? How did he redefine our religion? How did he redefine our values? How did he redefine our attitudes? You know, Jesus was exciting in the things he changed. He really was different, you know, and that's a challenge for me. Can you imagine trying to share your faith with somebody and you're just wildly different? You know, when you share with them, it's a new commandment. You know, Jesus was not, not just your, uh, your, your, you know, <clears throat> your Jew. So here's the law, you know. So when you heard the law taught in the Old Testament, you think about it, the prophet speaks and the prophet shares something. And how do they end those sorts of things? So saith the Lord, or an oracle the Lord has spoken. They were very careful to make sure that they were saying exactly what God had told them to say. You know, we're going to dig in a moment into Matthew. My text is going to be Matthew 5, 21 to 32. And, you know, Jesus is going to do something that's really unthinkable to the Jews of his time. He's going to take the word of God. He's going to take the scripture and he's going to expand on it. He's going to redefine it. Now, given what John warned us in Revelation, you probably shouldn't do that. You know, John said, don't do that. And you probably shouldn't. But Jesus did that. You know, a, a, a scripture that we probably all have memorized at some point is John 13, 34 and 35. Uh, what's that say? 
a new command I give you. you know, that'd be like me sitting here and say, well, I have a new command for you. And you'd be going, get out of here. You know, you're crazy. We don't need, we don't want anybody that's preaching heresy, giving new commands. But Jesus came in and he said, I've got a new command for you. And they went, oh my goodness, you know, what are we supposed to do with that? He's speaking the very words of God. He is God. That is brand new. That's different. That's radical what he was able to do. You know, just take a look over here on the screen if you want or on your phone or in your Bible. You know, in you know Matthew 12, he says, uh, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. Seriously? If you had known that these words mean I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, if you follow Matthew, in Matthew 9, Jesus throws out this little thing and says, you should go and learn what it means that I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And then he comes back here in Matthew 12 and says, if you had learned that, you know, you would not have condemned the innocent. See, this idea of sacrifice here was, is that taking my offering legalistically to the priest and it's sacrificed for me so that I am forgiven. Does God want that? No. It was, it was put in place for one particular reason, to tell us about Jesus coming to be the sacrifice for our sins. That's all it was for. He desires mercy. You know, in, uh, in Hosea, if you want a little expansion there, he says the same thing, Hosea 6. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. So what God wants from us is not our burnt offerings. You know, what's our modern burnt offerings? I don't know. Anything you do legalistically. Whether it's, well, I had my 47.3 seconds of prayer or minutes of prayer, hours of prayer, or I read my Bible this much, or anything you decide is going to be your legalistic sacrifice, I'm going to place this before the altar of God, this will be the right thing. Or is it the heart? It's really the changing of the heart. See, I think even in the temple worship, you could bring a sacrifice for the right reasons, or you could bring it for the wrong reasons. You can do the very same thing today. And God is telling us that he wants us to have the right heart behind things. And and I think, you know, you can say that that was redefining the standards by which we examine our own lives. It's not the offering on the altar that God's looking for, but the acknowledgement of our heart uh, as well as our actions. Because the right heart, you know, brings about the right actions. I found that in things I do, like, like the best way to not, you know, to always tell the truth is to always tell the truth. Because you never have to go back and say, well, what did I say before? What do I need to say now? You know, the best way to love somebody is to love somebody. You know, I found that if you have something in your heart against somebody, they just seem to know. And so the best way to do it is not to find a good way to put makeup on it, but it's to figure out how to get it out of you so that it doesn't come through you like, like it tends to. I'm, I'm not a very good actor. I'm not a very good faker. Um, some people are better than me. Um, it's probably not, some skills you don't want to learn. That's probably not the one that I want to pick up and, and do. But, you know, it's that heart that's important. You know, and when our kids were little, you know, they would do something wrong. And so, I, don't, I mean, maybe you do the same thing or have done the same thing. But we always said, you know, go say you're sorry. You know, we would make them go say they're sorry. Maybe that was a little legalistic, but, you know, we sort of said, you've got to say you're sorry. You've got to go make it right. So if they took a toy, you have to give it back. If they said something bad, you have to apologize for it. You know, we were really striving to get them to deal with the heart of it, not just the action. Go get your heart right. Try and, you know, let's do something nice for that person. Let's do something to help them. Let's try and we were trying to get them to understand that it wasn't just the action that mattered, but it was the heart. All right. So, um. 
All right, so Matthew, so let's go on over to our text here, Matthew, uh, Matthew 5.21. So it says, You heard, have heard it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and if anyone, anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to the will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother Raka is answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. You know, so he's referring, you know, this idea of you heard it, have heard it said. He's referring to the teaching of the teachers of the law. That's how they interpret it. You know, long ago he's speaking back to the giving of the law. And there's lots of Old Testament scriptures about this, you know, uh, on judging people for murder, Genesis 9, Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. You know, it's where we get the idea in our law of premeditated murder versus manslaughter. Those are Old Testament concepts. The death penalty, Genesis 9, that was an Old Testament concept. You know, and it was pretty well understood. You know, you had heard it said about these things and you take it for granted and you just put it into practice. You know, this idea of even being subject to judgment, you know, that uh, those were consequences that came from murdering someone. Uh, but this, this other idea, though, of, of anger, you know, that's the same thing as murdering somebody. Wait a minute. That's a little rough, you know, and, and it was even rough. Isn't there a time when there's righteous anger? You know, the King James comes and says, anger without cause. Well, I, that was sort of thrown in. Jesus really meant what he said. He said that anyone who's angry with his brother is subject to judgment, is subject to a penalty. Um, have you ever been angry? Have you ever been angry? You know, I'm glad because I've been angry a lot, you know, and, and uh, you know, I, I personally have had a history of being a very angry person. And I'm, hopefully I've, I've, I've repented of a lot of it, most of it maybe. But, you know, I, I, as a teenager, I used to work on stuff. You know, I have a very mechanical background. Uh, I try and hide it because people want you to fix stuff, you know. <laughs> but, you know, I, I enjoy that thing. But, you know, when you, when you worked on a car, you worked on something that didn't quite go together, what, what I would do is I would take it and I would throw it. Or sometimes I just would, you know, when when thing was beyond, I just would hit it with a hammer, you know. And, and uh, trust me, that's not a good way to make things resolve right, you know. Sometimes you're just motions that's over. You just want to whack at one, you know. In college, I would get mad, and you know, I I don't know if any of you guys ever do this, but I would punch walls. And so I learned a lot of valuable skills. Like I know how to patch drywall with the best of them because I had to go fix the holes that I made. Um, and I, that was not really the best thing, you know. I, so I, I learned to repent and rein in my anger as a disciple. Um, I learned that, uh, you know, breaking things that you like is not a good thing. And so, uh, you know, I learned that in relationships. So with Jeanette and I, I learned that it wasn't a good thing to take out my anger on her. Because it was like hurting myself. It's like sort of like, you know, hitting your own hand with a hammer. Not a good thing. But, you know, I had to learn more. Like, so then I, sometimes I would get mad and I would get mad at my children. You know, and, and they would say sometimes that 80% of the time you're like rational and 15 or 20% of the time you're just psycho dad. You know, where did that come from? Ah! And, you know, I learned it, <clears throat> during a period of time that when I hurt my kids and when I'm angry with them, I, well, I was hurting God, but I was hurting Jeanette. And so, you know, out of my figuring that, well, you know, that doesn't make sense. I, I, I'm trying to repent of that. I am, you know, so I don't think it's 80-20 now. Maybe it's 99-1 or hopefully there's, I know there's a little bit there. I still continue to work to repent on that. But, you know, then I learned, you know, uh, at another time that when you share with brothers and sisters how you really feel about them, 
Anybody ever done that? Well, you really hurt me with that. Blah, 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 blah. You know, that's cathartic. That makes you feel good. You know, what does it do for them? Makes them feel lousy, right? You know, when you've had somebody come and tell you how bad you are, um, not encouraging, right? And so I learned that the same thing I was doing with, with automobile engines and then with Jeanette and then with my kids, I was doing to brothers and sisters. And so I was using my sort of like getting out of my system and not realizing what it was doing to hurt them. You know, in 1 Corinthians 6 says, why not rather be wrong? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you wrong and you cheat other people. See, the standard that Paul was setting is that I should rather get the bad side of things. It's okay for me to be shorted uh, instead of me turning around and shorting and hurting other people. So that's that's hard for me. That keeps on backing up this idea. You know, and for me to stop thinking about myself, but to think about what's my impact on other people. What, What am I doing to hurt other people? You know, remember, mercy triumphs over judgment. God wants me to have a heart of mercy to people, you know, not this idea, well, what's the minimum that I can do? What, what are my rights? How do I not be wrong? How do I not be, you know, cheated? And then he goes in here, and what does he say? Raka. Why, did they, why didn't they translate that? Why did they leave that some silly, I mean, sorry, some word that I, I don't understand? Um, you know, maybe because it might have convicted us more. You know, Raka might be translated today as airhead. You know, in the heat of moment, have you ever called somebody a name? I mean, you're a Christian or you're a disciple, so you don't call them real names, right? You don't really swear at people, but you come up with other things to say that are just not quite swearing. You know, you airhead, you know, or, you know, maybe you even substitute in, in, a, in a swear word. So maybe you've got substitute swear words. So you don't say something. You say, oh, fudge or, you know, oh, I don't know. But what, what's the difference? You're substituting in for you, Raka. You're substituting, oh, you airhead, or oh, fudge, or, or whatever it is. You know, they said, if you say you fool, you're subject to judgment. You're in the dangers of fires of hell just for calling somebody a fool. Now, wait a minute. Why? That's not a bad word. That's not on the official approved list of bad words. You know, didn't you have that in your family with your kids? You cannot say these words. You say these words, you're getting... Whatever the punishment is, mouth washed out with soap, you know, spanking, corner, whatever it is. But that's not the way it works. It's the heart. Jesus knows that your heart, when you say, you airhead, it's the same thing. You just didn't say the same word. Your heart was exactly the same. You've been legalistically trained to substitute a good word, semi-good word for a bad word, and your heart never changed. Wow. That's not what it's about. It's about changing your heart. So now when you say, you airhead, or oh fudge, or whatever it is you say, you just know that the heart didn't get changed. The mouth changed, but out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It just it's changed the words the mouth speaks. You just you still have the same heart. You know, sometimes you tell stories even. And, and it's telling stories, that, that's code word for gossiping, right? I'm telling a story. This is blah, blah, blah. You know, <clears throat> that's not flattering. Well, they do this, or they do that, or this happened. You know, I've even caught myself going back and telling things that happened to me 20, 30 years ago. And it was an experience, And but I think sometimes that experience reflects a bad heart on my side. 
Like, I retell a story and I'm going, you know what? That's awful. Why did I tell that? You know, that was crazy. You know, it wasn't a good thing. And, and I really was sitting there. And, and now, instead of sitting, I just retell the story. And so I've had to go in my thinking. There's some things I, I, I just won't retell because I don't like that story. Uh, I don't like what it tells to my brothers, my sisters, people I'm meeting. You know, my, my code, my scripture that I've had to memorize uh, to be able to sort of rein myself in is Ephesians 4.29. You know, if you don't know it, you probably should know it. It's, uh, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. See, I've had to learn to, to think about anything I say has to benefit somebody else. If I can't benefit somebody else, then I shouldn't say it. Well, so this idea of... <clears throat> When we say murder, you know, we also have anger. Murder, anger, murder, anger, right? So think about those words interchanging. You know, the law says do not murder. That's not hard. I mean, maybe some of you murdered. Uh, I don't know. In James, it actually said that, uh, that murder was sort of normal. Adultery was the oddball sin. Go look in James if you have murdered. Um, I don't think either of them are great. But, you know, I've been angry a lot. And I'm subject to the same kind of judgment if I want to be legalistic as somebody who murdered. Now, I, I, I desire mercy in that case and not sacrifice. <clears throat> I want to be different. But, you know, this idea here in <clears throat> verse 30, 23, it says, Therefore, if you're offering a gift at the altar and there remember that your brother is something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother. Then come and offer your gift. See, the way it worked is that if you're Jewish under the law and you had an unresolved conflict, you know, there, really, there was no atonement. Basically, if you weren't resolved, you couldn't atone for your sins. You couldn't make that offering. So you really had to go back and figure out how to, um, how to make it right. You know, so Leviticus talks about that because God ultimately wants mercy and not sacrifice. He wants you to have the right heart before he takes your sacrifice and so this idea is that, um, you know, when someone has something against us, isn't it really easy to dismiss it? Well, Larry's got something against me. Well, I just won't think about Larry and I'm all fine, you know. That's his problem after all, isn't it? Right? You know, I'm worked through it. Why hasn't he worked through it? Why hasn't Pat worked through it? Or why, isn't, why hasn't they worked through it? It's their problem. Have you ever, ever said that? I'm good. Why don't you get good with it? Well, what does Jesus say? It's my problem. It's my problem to be reconciled. It's my problem to have that relationship. You know, Romans says, as if, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As much as you can do to make something right, you go make it right. You know, Proverbs says, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. You ever thought about your enemies? Now, these are real enemies. Like, real enemies are not just people that don't like you. Real enemies, work, they wake up in the morning thinking how they're going to hurt you. And he says that it's possible that if we are pleasing to God, even our enemies will live at peace with us. Wow. I, maybe we could tell that to some of our presidential candidates, right? That, you know, that if we just love God, maybe that would be the right way to resolve some of these things. So it says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you pay the last penny. <clears throat> so under Jewish and Roman law, there were certain things that were what's called like summary judgment. 
So you catch somebody stealing from you, you literally grab them by the scruff of the neck and you drag them to court. You know, we're going to take care of this right now. We're going to go. We're going to present the case to the officer, and you're going to get your punishment. Here it comes. So now imagine yourself. You've just robbed your neighbor, stole from his convenience store. I don't know. Said something you shouldn't say, and he grabs you by the neck. And I'm assuming he's like maybe like Zach. He's bigger than me, and so there's no hope of me getting away. And so Zach is dragging me off to jail. And so I know when I get there, he's going to present the facts. You know, and it's going to be bad for me, and I'm going to get punished. I'm going to get what I deserve. You know, <clears throat> I've had something like that. You know, when I lived in Germany, they had summary judgment for traffic violations. So you go along and you do something wrong. You know, I, I I bumped the wheel of a truck into somebody once, and another time I think we might have you know bumped somebody in a rear end thing. <clears throat> and they, I don't, there was no cell phones, but somehow magically the police, the police appeared. <laughs> They're here, and they go, oh look. You're that guy who speaks a little bit of German, <laughs> like nothing. Here's the German person. You're at fault. And they, and they would be up to 40 marks, which then was, you know, I don't know, 10, 20, 30, 40. I depended on the day, which, which it was. But you always carried a 40 mark piece of cash in your, in your wallet because they would ask for the money. Pay the summary judgment now. And if they don't, they, would, they literally would take you to the, to, to the ATM. And if you didn't get it out, they would take you to the police station, put you in jail. So it was, you know, pay your money now. And so uh, that was, uh, that made you, that was a way to settle matters quickly. But, you know, think about it. Now, Zach is dragging me back to jail. I'm going to try and make it right with him because I'm guilty. I'm on the way to jail. I'm going to get punished. Uh, I want to make peace. And so that's the setting. That's the standard here is you settle matters quickly. So I think about that in our relationships. Settling matters quickly. When something comes up, Oh, they said something. Oh, I don't really like that. That hurt. You know, ah, ah, ah. You know, <clears throat> deal with it quickly. Imagine you are getting drugged to court, and today is the day that you're going to be in jail, and you have the option of settling matters quickly. You know, I think even this idea, when we're in a relationship and someone has something against us, do we take the time, well, I have to call setting them free? You know, somebody's got something, you know, what can I do to set you free? Well, I mean, at first I could do some obvious things like, you know, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry I did that. You know, I'm sorry I said that. I shouldn't have said that. Or I apologize. Or maybe even if it's not clear, just asking, what can I do, brother, to help you be free of this? I'm sorry that it's happening. I really want to resolve it. Um, you know, I want to do whatever I can, as much as is possible to me to live at peace with other people. Doing that with coworkers. Now it's just step outside of Christians. Doing that with people you know. Do you really set people free? Or are you the one that holds a grudge against people? Yeah, really, I have this attitude about you. you never going to, you know, you know, please don't do that. <clears throat> you know, want to set people. And, and maybe sometimes we rationalize. You know, maybe it's just me, but, oh, I've tried um, and it just doesn't work. Or, or it's, it's not really that bad. You know, we don't. You know, of all the, all the people, we just don't really gel very well. And we, we really don't want to, you know, you know, if I had to pick three people, I'd rather be with this person, not with this person. Um, you know, it's, you know, it probably doesn't matter. Um, heart, right? It's the heart. You know, my mom used to say to me when I was a kid, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. Did your mom say that to you? Yeah, somebody's mom said it to you for sure, or somebody. But, you know, that wasn't right. If you can't say anything at all, you need to go resolve the relationship. I can't say anything nice. Well, 
Okay. Jesus, you know, let's go fix it, right? Let's go resolve those relationships. Ah, the judge. So I think the principle here is that Jesus is teaching us that we, we need to have a high standard for our feelings, our heart, our actions against other people. That, that mur- not murdering someone is a very low standard. Um, <clears throat> I just looked at the time and like, well, my time is gone. Way, way past it. So I'll recover from that in a second. <clears throat> so, so anger against others is the same offense in God's eyes. You know, he really wants us to love each other, love others uh, so much that we, we can't be angry toward them. You know, there's nothing there. We can't be judgmental. We, obviously, we can't murder them. And when we do sin, when we do get stuck that way, he wants us to repent quickly. He wants us to avoid judgment. He wants us to avoid prison, uh, both physical judgment as well as the spiritual judgment. You know, and, and uh, both of the things we've talked about really are about us sinning against others. You know, one where we avoided the penalty. Remember I said, well, you know, if I'm at the altar and I can forget about Larry, then I, I, I don't have to deal with it. You know, I'd already avoided the penalty, but somehow I need to go and make that right anyways. And the other where I've been caught and I'm being drugged away to be judged. You know, I need to make things right with, with that one and deal with that and be, be on top of it. You know, I think just even circling back and thinking about, you know, sometimes you get together with people and say, how are things going, bro? And you go, well, it's going pretty good. You know, but, you know, Rob, you know, he's been, he's just been doing a few things that really I'm, I'm challenged with. I wish he would stop doing that. And, uh, you know, it's easy to turn things on other people rather than saying, you know what? Things are going pretty good, but, you know, I'm seeing that I, I, I really have, you know, challenges in my heart. You know, I, I really don't have, have uh, I, don't let, I don't set people free. I don't let them go. I hold things against people, and I really need to repent of that. It's the same thing, you know, it's our relationship. But instead of throwing all the blame on somebody else and saying, well, it's, I wish he would really get over what he's doing, it's turning it back on me. So, you know what, this is really me. What can I do to change me? How can I be different? You know, how can I be merciful? How can I have the heart that God wants me to have? How can I forgive quickly? How can I move on then to purifying my life from sin, getting that sin out of my life and being right that way? That's really, uh, that really is what God wants me to do. All right, so I'm going to share a few more things here and try not go too much over time. But um, I want to hit another point here just as we continue on in Matthew 5. It says, you've heard it said... Do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Um, so, in their religious teaching, they've been taught that, you know, if you uh, commit adultery, that's the sin, right? So, the woman caught in adultery, remember that in John 8? And, uh, and uh, you know, Jesus here tells us that, that adultery is punishable, right? And so, it wasn't just the woman caught in adultery. You know, we, I think we've heard talk before, it was the man caught in adultery. True. How come he wasn't punished? But this whole idea that they were trying to test Jesus... And say, well, what happens if someone gets caught in adultery? And he really taught them that. What did he des- does he desire? 
mercy and not sacrifice. He says, you know, and for us, think about it, I found these stats. It's a little fuzzy, isn't it? Um, and, but if you go out and you look for adultery statistics, you can find them. Um, I wouldn't encourage you to do it because it's a little bit depressing. But the one that stood out to me, and maybe you can read that, it says, percentage of marriages where one or both spouses admit to infidelity, either physical or emotional infidelity, 41%. Hmm, that's a lot, you know. And that's why just take a sampling of people you know who are married, and uh, 41% have either had physical or emotional infidelity uh, uh, or adultery in the relationship. You know, so it's not just the actions here. It's really, you know, the thought goes beyond that. You know, so, and it, I mean, to be clear, this is, this is not a passing thought. This is a thought where you go, you know, um, if, I, if I could do that, then that would, that would take me into that. So it's, it's just, I mean, I'm not getting that quite right. But thinking about something and going back to it where it, it's the thought of being unfaithful to that marriage relationship. And he says that when you do that, um, that's what uh, God is challenging for. That's the same thing as adultery. You know, Proverbs says that we, we shouldn't lust after the beauty of a wayward woman. You know, Colossians talks about putting lust to death. Hebrews talks about that adultery will be judged by God. Um, and this is this idea in, in, in the uh, here of, it says that... Um, let me find the scripture again. <clears throat> this idea of if your right hand causes you to sin. This is a word, scandalion, scandal. But it's the concept of, of the bait stick. Now, if you've ever done, if you've ever caught anything, like if you use a mousetrap and put cheese on it. So the thing that holds the cheese is the bait stick. If you're doing a deadfall or, or some other bigger trap, the thing you put the bait on is the bait stick. And that's what you wave, you're literally, in figuratively waving in front of the prey to catch it. You put something on the bait stick and you're waving it in front of them to try and lure them in so that they'll be trapped. And so I think what he's saying here is that, you know, if we let our eyes lure us in, they become the bait stick. We put things in front of us that lure us in where we can be captured in the sin. And so I think even in that sense, it's like anything that we purposely put in front of ourselves that sort of teases us in the direction of sin. You know, so it's alluring. And so, I mean, I think you can you can sort of use that idea that there's lots of things that we might do that, whether it's, you know, anything we lust over, whether it's it's a physical relationship or it's an emotional relationship or whether it's it's stuff, you know, whether it's a nicer house, a nicer car, a nicer boat, um, <clears throat> nicer kids. I don't know what it is, you know, you know, it's. It's that lure, and I'm going to go back, and I'm going to concentrate on it. I'm going to think about that. I'm going to let that get inside of my mind and let that control me. Um, it, it's become our bait stick. It's the thing that we're letting bait us away from what God wants us to do. You know, I think that's the challenge he's saying here is, is stop worrying about the do's and don'ts. Well, I drive this kind of car. That's not a bad thing. Well, it is if it's your bait stick. You know, if it's luring you, and whatever it is, from, from uh, the, a $300 car or a $300,000 car, it doesn't matter. Or it's, well, you know, I'm not really being unfaithful in my relationship because I'm only doing this. I mean, how can you say, oh, I'm only doing this? What does only doing this mean? shouldn't be doing any of it. And I think that's, that's the challenge here is that we've got to get back to the heart about how we decide what's good for us 
and what's bad for us and what's right or what's wrong to do. Um, I'm going to skip the next section or two here, um, only because I'm running out of time. But this idea of adultery, lust, adultery, lust. So the law said, do not commit adultery. And I don't commit adultery, but I do this, you know. And if you're, you're as old as I am, you, there was a presidential election 40 years ago. I can't believe it's 40 years ago. I barely remember this because I was still pretty young myself. I was in high school, but Jimmy Carter was interviewed, and they asked him a stumping question for a religious Baptist guy. Said, and he says, have you ever committed adultery? And he said, well, I've done it lots of times because I've lusted after women in my heart. And he went, what? You know, and that was a big thing. Today, that wouldn't even, that wouldn't even make the news, you know. You know, that's assumed. You know, nobody, nobody is even rising to that standard. And <clears throat> thinking about that, though, is that the righteous standard is to have the right heart before God. And that's what I really want to have. Um, <clears throat> this is great. Let you read it on your own uh, <clears throat> on the idea of divorce. And I guess the only thought I had there, and I'll give you a thumbnail, is <clears throat> in my, my life, in my marriage, um, I've had... Uh, Incidents. I call them about every five years. I do something really stupid. So five years into my marriage, I sat down with a brother, and he says, <clears throat> I said to him, I, he said, um, uh, I really think you need to work on your marriage. Five years in, you know. And I said, well, bro, that's, that's awesome, but can you just, can we just focus on something that I can do? What? Yeah, because, you know, I, I can't change Jeanette, so I just want something that I can deal with. And so uh, he helped me to see what a selfish, stupid thing that was to say. And, and so I repented and I, I worked on my marriage. And it, I feel like, I felt like every five years, something comes up that really causes us to refine our marriage relationship. That, and it's usually my fault because I'm the stupid one, um, <clears throat> the foolish one, or the rock of the airhead, whatever. I'm giving myself a bunch of names here. But, and so... What I've learned is that it's ongoing, it's getting deeper, it's digging deeper. You never, you never arrive. You're always learning to be more like Jesus. Uh, it's, and it's going to keep going until you're with Jesus. And so you've got to resolve that I'm going to continue to grow, I'm going to continue to get better, I'm going to continue to refine. I'm going to be the one who's messing up. I'm never going to be the perfect one. That's always going to be your case. Always. And my fear is, this year in August, we celebrate 35 years of marriage, which is a five-year boundary. And so I'm, I'm getting to another five-year penalty period, right? You know, and um, So pray for me. Pray that whatever it is, I can repent of it quickly and so I can be out of there because uh, I'm, I'm eager because I want mercy and not sacrifice. I don't want to be the sacrifice. You know, so Martin Luther King had this nice quote, or this good quote. He said, uh, the worst sin in life is knowing right and not doing it. You know, and, and uh, you know, it, it's not enough not just to do the outward sins, and we've talked about that. I want to get rid of the, even the desire to do it. You know, I know that I'm not capable of judging people because I don't know your heart. You know, it's the heart, right? It's not the outward stuff. It's, it's uh, forgiveness. We need the forgiveness. And my challenge is not to look at outward appearances, even in my own self, but to look at, at uh, what's going on in my own heart. That is much harder to do. That's a much bigger challenge. That is really the biggest challenge. I, I like more what Jesus said. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Uh, I want to close with this thought. Um, I was watching 60 Minutes a few weeks ago, and one thing they were doing is they were interviewing death row inmates. 
You know, if you saw that or not. And they were talking to him, and, and they talked to the one, this one kid, I mean, one young, young person, probably 27, to use that 27 number. And uh, they were asking if he'd done something stupid. He, he'd evaded a chase, and they were chasing him, and the, the police officer threw out, threw out the, the uh, puncture sticks to stop his car. And in the midst of, of that happening, he, he ran over and killed the police officer. And so he was guilty of capital murder, right? And so he was given the death penalty. And so this was just a few weeks before it was going to get carried out. And they asked him, you know, what will you be thinking about, you know, on your deathbed on, on, when, you're, when you're executed? And he says, you know, what I'll be thinking about is will I go to heaven or will I go to hell? You know, <clears throat> what will be the result of my life? You know, I think that's, that's what's on our heart. I think what needs to be on our heart is, are we doing what's right before God? Are we setting this? Are we are we allowing there to be some legalistic standard that prevents us from really getting what Jesus wants? Jesus wants us to desire mercy and not sacrifice. See, God's put eternity on our hearts. God wants us to think about those things. Whether it's should I become a Christian, and what do I need to do to do that, or as a disciple, what do I need to decide now? What's the relationship that when I look at someone's face, I just don't feel great about? I just would really challenge you to go deal with that as soon as possible before you get drugged to court. Amen.